välkomna till internationell författarscen. Jag heter Ida Linde. Och jag heter Athena Farrosad och vi är programansvariga för litteraturen på Kulturhuset Stadsteatern. Alldeles strax ska ni få höra författaren Hernan Diaz i samtal med Tone Sjönnesson. Varmt välkomna. Varje liv utspelar sig runt en smärre antal händelser som antingen driver oss vidare eller tvingar oss att plötsligt stanna upp. Vi tillbringar åren mellan dessa tilldragelser med att åtnjuta eller lida av deras konsekvenser tills nästa omvälvande ögonblick inträffar. En mans värde grundas i hur många av dessa väsentliga omständigheter han förmår skapa för egen del. Han behöver inte alltid vara framgångsrik till det kan finnas stor ära i nederlag. Men han måste spela huvudrollen i de avgörande scenerna i sitt liv. Oavsett om de är storslagna eller tragiska. Vad det förflutna än har gett oss att förvalta är det upp till var och en att mejsla fram vårt nu ur framtidens formlösa stenblock. Mina förfäder är tydliga bevis för detta. Vi beväljs har genomlevt ett flertal kriser, depressioner, konjunktursvackor. 1807, 1837, 1873, 1884, 1893, 1907, 1920, 1929. Inte nog med att vi har överlevt dem- vi har kommit starkare ur dem och alltid med nationens bästa för ögonen. Om varken mina förfäder eller jag hade förstått att en sund ekonomi som leder till välstånd för alla måste bevaras till varje pris skulle våra karriärer sannoliken varit mycket kortlivade. En självisk hand har kort räckvidd. Det är därför jag finner de grundlösa, kränkande anklagelser som riktas mot mitt sätt att göra affärer så förolämpande. Tord inte just vår framgång vara övertygande bevis för allt vi gjort för det här landet? Vårt välstånd bär vittnesbörd om våra goda gärningar. Som jag i det följande kommer att lägga fram på ett detaljerat och ovedersägligt sätt- bidrog mitt agerande under 1920-talet inte bara till att skapa utan också till att förlänga den tillväxt vi upplevde genom hela det decenniet. Och det hjälpte till att skydda vår nations ekonomiska hälsa. Publicister och övernitiska historiker talar om dessa år i termer av en bubbla. Genom att använda detta ord antyder de att denna period av överflöd var ett ostadigt luftslott dömt att gå upp i rök. 
Faktum är emellertid att den period av välstånd som vi åtnjöt före 1929 var resultatet av omsorgsfullt utformade ekonomiska riktlinjer som en rad välvalda regeringar var förnuftiga nog att inte lägga sig i. Detta var inte en flyktig hås som var förutbestämd att krascha. Detta var fullbordandet av Amerikas öde. Hallå! Um, vad kul att ni är här, and welcome uh, to you. I'm so happy to have you here. Tack, Tony. Jag önskar att uh, jag skulle kunna göra det här på svenska, men uh, det blir väldigt pinsamt för mig och väldigt uh, otåligt för er. Så uh, jag, jag, jag tror att vi... Nej, nej, nej. Du pratar ju väldigt nej, bra måste, svenska. Ni, ni måste tro på mig. Um, det låter som om jag kunde tala svenska, men jag kan But faktiskt language, inte. Det, 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 like... det är ett trick. <laughs> But you're very good at a trick. Thank you. It's, yeah. all, it's all an illusion. So. <laughs> um, yeah, because you, you lived in Sweden, actually. I did, I did, yeah. I did. But uh, that's why I have the vocabulary of an eight-year-old. It's when, it's, <laughs> it's when, when we left here. Okay, I, I, yeah. we, Uh, we moved here when I was two, and we we moved away from here when I was eight or or nine or something. And like you that. lived in sorry the states since then. No, no, I, we moved back to Argentina. Okay, my, yeah. my parents were uh, very um, much from that place. Mm. They, they really couldn't live anywhere else. <laughs> and um, uh, I, however, didn't find myself very much at home there. It might have had to do with the fact that I wore, you know, träskor uh, uh, among everyone who was playing football and everything, and that I didn't know how to play football. That also <laughs> didn't help. And um, so as soon and, and I, I fell in love with the English language. That that was a big event in my life in my teens. So as soon as I possibly could, uh, I was 23 or 24. I moved first to London, where I lived for a couple of years, and then to Uh, very specifically Brooklyn, where I've lived for uh, 25 years now. But when did you start to write in English? Uh, right then, around age okay, 23 yeah. or something, yeah. That amazes me, because, yeah, you're... I'm so obsessed with both of your novels. Uh, we're here to... And you just won the Pulitzer, as Ida said. I'm so happy for oh. you, all of your success. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, amazing. And, and I can tell there are a couple of friends of mine <laughs> in here. That's very... <laughs> Yes. But it's true. I'm so happy for your success, and it's so well deserved. Thank you. And uh, your first novel was also nominated. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. Um, but I read an interview where you said that you like to be rejected. Have your writing rejected? Right. Well, I. I and have then I was like, "That's well, a successful person speaking." <laughs> <laughs> That's a Pulitzer Prize winner, winning author speaking. Well, I have. I have. I have a very intimate relationship with success. Yeah. I, I lived uh, in the in the um, cold, inhospitable, uh, and dark shadow of rejection yeah. for you know almost you know over a decade, and um, and it's it still happens. You know, yeah, sometimes you, you send a story and it's not and it's not accepted. But the thing is that you do this. I mean, imagine if you started writing 
in the hopes of getting an award down the road or something. That's the dumbest <laughs> yes. plan anyone can. No, you have as a writer, you have to up. be really connected or in tune with the failure. I think. Well, yes. I mean, you have to be acceptant of it to some extent. But I think more than that, it's not about failure or or, or failing or triumphing. Uh, for me, and I, I mean this in all honesty, it has always been about the love of, of language yeah. and the love of sentences and words and 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 what they can do. Yeah, but know? I think I mean also failure, like as an opportunity when you write, or language failure. And I, I thought about that as well oh. when I read you. I think we're gonna get back to that. Yeah, when you the, mean you when, mean like oh. when the language is not holding the truth or. When it's failing to speak truth, or um, when they it fails in the form, and mm -hmm. which I think are big themes of your uh, recent novel, Trust yes. or Egendom in Swedish, which is, as Ida said, uh, very beautiful translated, but by yeah, Frederica um, Spindler. It's yes, amazing so translation. I read both of them. Um, okay, but l before we get into it, we need to explain the novel. Let's. Okay. <laughs> Let's. This is going to be 35 <clears throat> minutes. <clears throat> yeah. <No. laughs> uh, we follow multiple characters at different time periods, their stories delivered to us using divergent methods. It's about a man. In the center of the story is a married couple, Andrew Bevel and Mildred Bevel. Yes. Uh, do you want to? Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I was so I was so excited you to like, see how how you were going to do <laughs> oh, this. Yeah, this is how uh, I did it. You, right. you tell them. Okay, um, but so I can do it as well if you want. No, no, no like it's, to it's totally fine. It's totally fine. I think we're doing yeah, we're, we're doing well. Yes, we're, we're um, going to do it. Uh, so it's a, it's a rather peculiar book in that you know when you open it you have like some in the hall. There, there you have a table. I of was content. so confused oh. when I opened. Because it's like four novels. No, it's four documents, you call it. That's right. Within a novel. Yes, it's, it's four different documents in different genres and written by different authors. And, and they're, they're, of course, made up authors. They're not real people, but they had to be believable as, yeah. as real people. And very quickly, just I think this will make the, the conversation easier to yeah. follow. Uh, here, here's how the book works. <laughs> um, and, and I will slightly spoil part of the experience. It's not, not a big deal, but you know, it's better if you don't know absolutely anything, but you'll be fine. So the, 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 the book begins with a novel within the novel. It's a whole novel written in this kind of... Uh, By Harold Vanner. Harold, Harold Vanner is the, Vanner. Uh, Vanner. The, the author of this novel that is written in this kind of turn-of-the-century tone, uh, sort of reminiscent a little bit of Henry James, a little bit of Edith Wharton, and it narrates the ascent of the wealthiest man on planet Earth um, and his business practices and his relationship with his wife. This comes to its own conclusion. It's a standalone story. The story, yes, uh, absolutely. And then um, this is followed by um, at, uh, at another document that is a, a historical document written in the first person um, about this extremely wealthy 
real-life man whose name is uh, Andrew Bevel, and this is called My Life. And it's it, an amazing title for a book. <laughs> My Life. Yes, just no, nothing else <laughs> needs to be said. It's so important and so visible. And you heard, what you heard right now is yeah. out of that book. And, as you, as, and it's written in this very abrasive, macho kind of tone. And, and it's amazing when you read it, because it's. You're, I was really emerged in the first part of the story, the novel, uh, called... Um, Bonds, no? Bonds, yeah, bonds, exactly. Yes. Uh, and then you go over to the half-finished autobiography. Yes. And this, it's a different tone. Altogether. Yeah. Yes. And, um, and uh, as you read on, you realize that this real-life tycoon is the real person on whom the fictional one in the novel had been based. And this guy is quite unhappy. He's with fuming. Yes, with how he and his marriage and his business ha have been depicted uh, in the novel. So he is hell-bent on setting the record straight. Um, and that is, what, that is the second portion of the book, Then we, which is also in the 30s. All of this is in the 30s. And then we jump to 1985, mm. and we meet this older woman, very well-established uh, writer in New York, a, a grand dame of letters uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the American scene, and she's reminiscing about her beginning uh, as a writer and her first serious job, which was as the secretary for the tycoon who wrote the memoirs responding to the novel. So you see what's happening. Um, as she reminisces on her life, she's also conducting this archival research. Yeah. Um, uh, and, 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 and she f comes across the forgotten, semi-hidden journal written by the real tycoon's wife. And that's the fourth and last part, this intimate journal. And again, each one of these pieces is written in an entirely different tone with entirely different literary genres. And they don't fully come together, which is intentional. I mean, most of the big questions are answered. Mm. Others are left open-ended. I wanted to turn the reader into a textual detective yeah. and, and also leave space between the bits and the, and the pieces to give the reader room to wander around and put yeah. them together in their own way. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And we'll talk more about the forum, but why are you so obsessed with the creating new writers? With creating new writers? Yeah, because I was like, I opened the book and I was like, who is this guy? <clears throat> yeah. why, why is it four other guys in here? <laughs> like, who am I? Right. Um, yeah, I think, you know... Why are you interested in the writer, I think, my question is. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I like literature that, mm. that, it, that, 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 that tries to figure out what literature is. This, is. this is a kind of text that I've been drawn to mm. uh, always, my entire life. Um, in this case in particular, like my previous novel has very little of this. Mm. It's, it's also framed narrative, but it's, it, it doesn't have this kind of polyphonic... Uh, structure uh, and if this one has it's not because I was trying to be fancy or mm. anything it was it was because I think at the core of this book is a concern about the nature of, of history mm. and its relationship to fiction and and this evanescent boundary between them and and how uh, how often uh, we can mistake one for the other or one passes for the other and 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 how to such a large extent both of them 
are not really the result of how close they are to referential truth or mm. referential reality, but they depend on certain rhetorical operations that lead us readers to believe mm. that one of these discourses is more robustly anchored in, mm, in, in, in referential reality, while the other is adrift in a sea of irrelevance, mm. you know, which mm. is how many people think of fiction. Yeah. So, um, you know, rather than expatiate on this, as I'm doing right now, mm. monographically, <laughs> which would have been uh, tedious, I thought it would be much cooler to have the reader feel this, what it feels like to be exposed in these ways, what it feels like to encounter the voice of authority, what it feels like to encounter the supposedly immediate voice of, of, of a woman in very specific circumstances, mm. and, and also invite them to, the readers, to, to re-examine the, the, the contracts that we enter into each time we, we read a text. How willing are we to believe a certain voice just because it happens to be that particular voice? Mm. How dismissive are we of other voices just because of how they sound and, and, and where they come from? Yeah, and I think that's interesting in a novel as well because that question about uh, being believable is both connected to name, uh, wealth, power, but also, I think, go. form or style. Uh, yes. But the novel, is, uh, the novel <clears throat> is about extreme wealth and capital, power yes. and truth. And in the story, uh, as, as I said, is, uh, as you said, <laughs> uh, is Andrew Bevel and his wife. Um, Harold Venner, who wrote, who's the writer of the first novel, is such an interesting character to me. Because yeah. I think you expand, of course, on the other characters in different ways. They have a voice, but the voice from Harold Venner is his novel. That's right. Yeah, how yeah. was it to create, like, how did you create him? How oh, did you man. create a writer who's not speaking aside from his novel? Yeah. I, can, I can talk about this a lot uh, because I love Harold Venner. And I thought, <laughs> I thought it would be cool to have a character yeah. that never appeared in the book. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, so, uh, yeah. because we read his novel, we read the whole, whatever, 160 pages of this novel, but we never meet him. And, and, and it's not for nothing that it, it is a piece of fiction, mm. this novel, that sets the whole plot into motion. So in part, I want to talk about how fiction can leave an impression, leave a dent on reality, mm. which we can talk about more later, because I'm obsessed with this. But then uh, Harold Vanner, you know, there's, there's a whole book of Vanner yeah. that I... That I could but will never write. I know this man perfectly well, and uh, I know who he is and where he comes from and how he dies. And uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, he, I was thinking. Here's a little sort of backstage mm -hmm. trivia. I was thinking mostly of two people when I was considering him, and um, one is Henry James, mm. who who is a, you know an overwhelming presence in my life. Who you know according to his diaries in one year went to over 200 dinners yeah like social formal dinners um and you know he would sit there not talk a lot he had a stutter uh and uh and but he was taking note of everything which mm. went into his novels 
The other writer I was thinking of was um, Truman Capote, mm. uh, especially late Capote, uh, when he is now, you know, uh, uh, really struggling with, with addiction and alcoholism mm. and is totally stuck with his book. Mm. Uh, uh, and so he decides to write these pieces on these New York socialites, mm. these women who were her friends, you know, these, this, and publish them in Esquire magazine. These women, of course, realized immediately it's about me. that this is, this is me. And that was pretty much the end of his career. And he was banished also from, from New York Social's life because he burned his bridges with all these people, which is in a way, in a way, what, what happens to, to Harold Vanner in the novel. And, and um, um, so that's, that, you know... Because I, I think as a reader, it also, like, it poses a lot of interesting questions when you read about an author's intention. I yes. think about what is Harold Benner's intention. Um, yeah, so I think that's a, another way of really exploring uh, your themes within the, yeah. the novel. Yeah, and, and for those who haven't read Trust mm. the, the, or Egendom, the, 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 the book, uh, Harold Vanner actually makes ghostly, spectral appearances mm. here and there, but you have to find him. It's like, where's Waldo, but yeah. with Vanner. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, and we will talk more in depth about the form, but first, let's talk about money, because you make a lot of them now. No. <laughs> no, I'm just, I was just kidding. I'm loaded. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, it's so strange. I never read a novel about about Wall Street in this way because right. I think writers are we're shitty with money, yeah. and it's really hard to understand. Uh, for me, maybe not for other writers. I was like, I can't believe I'm gonna have this uh, conversation in English because I don't even know the words in Swedish That's for right. bonds no, no, and obligations, yeah. and it's it's really språkvärld of nope. its own. Um, but what was it about this time in America and specifically Wall Street that drew you in? Well, it's it, it's exactly what you said. I mean, the, 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 the I sound louder all of a sudden, but someone will take care of it if, you, <laughs> if I'm deafening you. Um, uh, it's exactly what you said. I just mm. I just found that um, it's weird. Sort of, it, you know, I, I consider myself now an American by choice, having now spent mm. most of my life in that country, and you know, and I, it's it's the culture and the literature that I know the best. And it's how strange is it that in 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 a in a in a in a nation that where where capital has this almost transcendental mm. force. Remember, and I use transcendental very deliberately. You know, you can think of American transcendentalism, mm. which is the first philosophical school, you know, in in the United States, uh, probably. But also, it has a religious uh, undertone. That 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 word, right? Metaphysical undertone. And if you think of of the of the first Calvinist settlers who who came to to or went to the United States, you know, there was a belief that that is still there mm. that. Um, sort of the, the the material realization in this world would guarantee the spiritual redemption in the next, mm. you know. And this this is a, still the the coupling of religion and money in mm. in the United States is obviously very very strong. Um, so how bizarre! I, I go back now. How <laughs> go back that 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 a country to to a large extent founded on 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 these beliefs? How bizarre that there isn't really a tradition 
of writing about mm. money. In, in, in most of the novel, most of the novels that we think are about money are actually about class. Yeah, exactly. They're about the symptoms of money, mm. sort of the, the, you know, the corseted uh, 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 manners of, of, the, of the wealthy, their eccentricities, or the oppression of, of the less fortunate. But the money in these novels, and you could think of anyone from Edith Wharton to like Brett Easton Ellis, mm. uh, just to give a very random kind of scope. Yeah, but I understand. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, is um, the money is already made. Yeah. It's, it's, it's there. It's, it's almost like a treasure, like money, you know, and then what that does. But how the money is actually made, the money making, sort of the gerundive mm. aspect of money is, is absent. And, you know, as, as someone who comes from academia, whenever I see a blind spot that is so intense, mm. so dark, and so uh, 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 almost deliberate. I know it's not, but it feels that. I feel that that is an opportunity mm. for me. I'm not saying that I'm here to fill that gap at all. I, would, I wouldn't pursue. Well, you did, so. No, no, no. But, but what I'm saying is that the existence of the gap mm. gives me a lot of freedom because yeah. I don't have to be obedient to pre-existing books on any given topic, in this case, money. Um, I didn't address the complexity of money and money talk, the Sprockwaden. Mm. Uh, we can talk about But that. But how if did you, you want. immerse yourself in that Sprockwaden? Um, just by being a, a crazy neurotic person and reading a lot, <laughs> mm. that, that's the only answer. Mm. Uh, you know, that was my entry point. And yeah. then, you know, I had uh, um, uh, very dear friends, one of whom, Pablo, who's in the audience, who's a, a genius, who helped me. Uh, sort of uh, spot the, the all the all the many things that I did wrong, but but, but is there any beauty in that language? Can you like? No. 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 <laughs> no. It's it's no. No. It's a language. It's, it's functional. Or it's is a language it that that is deceiving, as a language. Maybe. It's against life. Yeah. Yeah. As a language. As a language. Yeah. Is I mean, anti-life. Nobody. 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 Nobody picks up sort of. A treatise on 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 uh, a treaty on on you know monetary policy of, uh, in bed, you know. No, 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 no yeah. of course. Uh, before or maybe Andrew. Yeah. Bevel. But here's the thing: the the thing that I learned really more than the nature of financial instruments mm -hmm. and and operations, which was fascinating, even if the language is you know uh, the, the the world itself is mm. is gripping. What I learned is that you know so much of that darkness is um, uh, an obscurity and abstruseness is to is totally intentional. Mm -hmm. I, I had I had the good fortune to meet this Nobel laureate in in economics. His name is Paul Romer, um, and he has. Um, I'll make this super brief. Believe me, it's, and it's no, going. No, I think it's really interesting. It's going someplace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. And uh, um, he has this paper, mm. very relevant paper, uh, on a term that he coined that is called mathiness. 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 I could follow this paper up to a certain point where it becomes really mathy, and then like, I, I had no <laughs> idea what was going on. But here's his thesis, and this is what I want to share with you, if you bear with me for 45 seconds. Like, on the one hand, there is a whole side of economics that is genuinely 
embedded in mathematics and statistical analysis, and it's very complex. Yes, nobody's disputing that for a second. There's another side of economics that has to do with consensus building mm. and policy and, pu and public discussion, right? Also pretty undeniable, I would say. Mathiness is when you bestow all those aspects that would require consensus mm. with a patina mm. of fake scientificity, mm. right? Mathiness. Mathiness. Mm. Because three plus two is five. There is no need for us to create this consensus. Also, this whole language is highly sophisticated and you shouldn't bother yourself mm. with understanding it. Mm. So that's a bypass by bestowing, you know, these consensus building moments with, with this pretend objectivity, mm. you know? And, and this is something that I find pervasive in, 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 in that sprook, uh, that. But that's really interesting, because I think I thought about your novel, it's almost like it's a myth buster as well, or it's working <clears throat> with the myth of power and wealth. And when you talk about mathiness, uh, I think there's uh, a layer of uh, undressing this mathiness in Andrew Bevel. Yes. And I don't want to spoil it too much, but when you get into this character and this man, it's not at all as you first thought it was going to be. Exactly. Yeah, but he has this grandeur that makes it very hard to... Yes, um, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And then we go back to rhetorical effects. Mm. You know, how how much of the authority that comes with money and money is a very powerful powerful force mm. i am not dismissing it and it's a very important force but how how much of the authority the aura that comes with it is merely rhetorical in the public sphere how much of it yeah because yeah, i was really interested in that uh, in that rhetoric as well because i think one thing about being poor or like poorish is that money can have this very dirty feeling attached to it because uh, I'm always at home, like anxiously, like checking my bank account, thinking about money. How much can I? How much is this conversation is gonna pay me? And, and then I take I my money and I'm spending the money on stupid shit, like only for my pleasure or my desires. Like I buy clothes or I drink or. I know. Um, <laughs> also, also you can buy clothes while drunk. I know, I know. That's the word. I mean, it's yeah. yeah. For me, that's a I big know. problem. Online uh, shopping, drunk online shopping. <laughs> and this absence of money or this spending money on pleasure makes money feel dirty to me. Like, it's Ooh. something dirty in it. Wow. And uh, money can have this very dirty so feeling. So Lutheran. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but yeah. I am. Yeah. I really, really am. This is a great curse in my life. Okay. Um, money can have, uh, like, when you're handling money or mishandling them. But then rich people, yeah. and I mean, like, really, really rich people, uh, they seem to be removed from this dirtiness. Uh, and I thought about this when I read at first, at first glance, <coughs> about the bevel, mm. uh, because Venner, my new favorite author, writes <laughs> about uh, uh, Benjamin Rask, who is the fictive version of Andrew Bevel, yeah. that those who accused Benjamin Rask of being excessively frugal failed to understand that in truth he had no appetites to repress. Ah, oh, I see where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where am I going? Because 
<laughs> because it's like, why is like big, powerful money people is like almost removed from desire or pleasure, yeah. even though they're like standing so bluntly in their greed? No, that's 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 very clever and acute, and uh, and I'm very grateful. Uh, absolutely, I mean that that passage is is very very important. What I, what I was trying to signal too mm. is that this character is uh, the the novel is also m about more things other than money. Just so you know. Yeah, but, well, yeah, of course, uh, of course. But what I wanted to signal is that he didn't do that, mm. so he could s spend the money no, exactly. on on extravagant stuff. He's not interested in acquiring objects, in having access to new experiences, in having reach to 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 other powerful people. He doesn't care. He is, you know, when you talk about art for art's sake, mm. like it's it's not to be consumed, it's not to be sold in the marketplace. It doesn't even expect a reaction from its viewer. It's just the the process of doing it that sustains mm. it. He is, with all the air quotes that you can imagine, an artist of money in mm. that sense, mm. right? Um, so, so this is the removal. But I, I feel removal is also an important word in this context because to me it was so important that his fortune be rooted not in any tangible goods, commodities, or services mm. like oil or steel or railroads, but in finance capital mm. um, and and to be gross and quote myself in the book, at, at one point, you know, there's a line that says, you Your know... Your friends are laughing. Yeah, it's, it's my three friends yeah. are laughing at my bad <laughs> jokes. It's, um, you know, capital begetting capital begetting capital, sort of the... I love that quote. The yeah. incestuous genealogies of capital. That's what I was interested in. So yeah. he's not, strictly speaking, making no. anything. In a removed way, with a ton of mediations, perhaps that claim could be made. Yeah. But, but I actually had that quote here as well, because at first I thought, as I said, uh, being <coughs> removed from the dirtiness, but then with the qu quote of the incestuous, the dirtiness was there again. Oh, right. So it was oh. really, uh, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Never thought of that, yes. Um, have you c catched up on the latest trend, quiet luxury, is the question I have here? Wait, no? what? Quiet luxury, do you know that trend? Quiet luxury? Yeah. That really rich people dress very ugly, but in expensive, ugly clothes. Oh, really? So there's just a signal between uh, oh. rich people that so it's know... Like, it's like norm core, but Yeah, worse? exactly, exactly. Yeah. I thought about that as well, but that's not important. Uh, it's I'm not... Kind of, I gotta say, I'm kind of interested. <laughs> yeah, but if it's, uh, it's about signaling money or capital and wealth in a way that's not at all desirable for all of us other peasants. Well, you know, you know, in, in the United States, uh, there is this sort of the, 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 ol the old money, mm. wasp money, mm. you know, sort of uh, 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 white Anglo-Saxon Protestant money. Showing off, showing off that you have money is, yeah. is, is totally gauche. It's totally in poor taste. So the richest person in the room is always the one you know, in, 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 in the tattered corduroy pants. Exactly. You know, yeah. and, the, and, the, and the old worn tweeds no, it's with the same the whole in, in Skåne, where yeah. you're going. Yeah, in Sweden, yeah. Um, but, I thought a lot, but I thought a lot about how I would structure this conversation, because even though every writer knows the form is inseparable from the content, they are, this is absolutely true mm. uh, for trust or egendom. Um, 
and the novel is, as we talked about, it's a novel within a novel. It's a, a half-finished autobiography. Yeah. It's a memoir and it's a diary. That's right. Why did you choose these four types of documents? Um, well, I, I feel like I touched upon that fleetingly a moment mm -hmm. ago um, uh, with, with this notion that I wanted to, rather than um, uh, elaborate on this like thematically, mm -hmm. I, I was hoping that, that readers would, would feel the, 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 the shifts in tone and, and to re-examine you know, um, uh, the, the tacit contracts that yeah. we enter into whenever we, we read a text. Why these four specific forms? And I, I was also oh, really interested yeah. in why did you start with the novel, uh, because sometimes I think about the, like the Henry James prose, the only image I have for it is, is like an otter swimming in the sea, and you know, it's so sleek, and <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like the prose yeah. is just like, like that. Ooh, and yeah. the <laughs> it's very satisfying, it's yeah. very whole, you know? Yeah. And then you finished with fragments, or the very fragmented diary. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's totally right. Uh, falling apart. Yeah. The diary is written about uh, by a woman who's sick. She's near death. She's in pain. She's mm -hmm. medicated. Uh, and but the funny thing is, there is where the truth shines in. Yes. So the truth for me as a reader is more present in the fragment than in the. And, and then the first part, yeah. well, uh, the I, prose. I have a lot to say about this. I mean, I started with the novel, as I said a moment ago, because I, I thought it was nice to have all the actions in the real world mm. be triggered by uh, fiction. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, so that, that was... And, and then also, I was super happy when I found and I made up an excuse for myself to write in this completely obsolete tone. Yeah. Like, there's no way anyone in 2022 or whatever, 23, could write in that particular style. But I think they should start. I was really intrigued. <laughs> I loved it. Thank yeah. you. You're, you're, you're kind. But, but the, 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 I don't believe it's possible. Mm. It, it would be like writing music like yeah. Mahler, whom I love, and kind of works in with, with this kind of tone musically for me and um, it was really a good day for me when I found out oh here's here's a trick mm. and I can I, I get to write this way um, so now we come to the fragment why can't you write this way why can't you write music like Mahler or mm. write like Henry James anymore because we don't live, as you said, in a, in a world that is whole mm. anymore. There is no roundedness. I think it's the word you mm. you use. There is no cohesiveness. Uh, our experience of the world is fragmentary, increasingly so. Mm. Uh, it is. It has been shattered, mostly by the division of labor and technology, mm. right? And our alienation from one another as the result of of these two big phenomena. Um, so, so to present this this roundedness in prose as a depiction or an engagement even with the world is is to be polite misguided, mm. you know. Um, and this is also why, uh, you know. And I'm so happy to hear this from mm -hmm. you that you felt the the more truthful moments were to be found in those fragments. Mm. Because again, I feel, you know, 
you know, Stendhal's mirror on the side of the road, which is how he described the realist novel. Mm. You know, the novel is a mirror uh, alongside a road. That mirror has been shattered. Mm. You know, and we have just these these kind of shards, and we see ourselves in the in the. It's messier, mm. um, and I think that's why also I chose this this form in the end, which is a tribute also to high modernist mm, kind of, of course, uh, poetry yeah. and prose and Gertrude uh, Stein and, and, and the, yeah, yeah, yeah and 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 it and it and it and it like this is hardly a spoiler, but the last word in 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 the book is unthreaded. He's saying Mandy Pusvenska unthreaded. It's um, I'm gonna check for something you. that is you know a needle a needle without a thread. Yeah, yeah. Utan tråd. <laughs> okay. Um, and I feel that that yeah, it's a, it's important that the book ends on that on that mm. unstitched uh, note. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, it's very polite of you saying misguiding, to, misguided to write prose in that type of way. But I also thought it was fascinating with the autobiography, My Life. Yes. Because um, after coming from this Henry James, as you call it, style, yeah. type style of novel, it was um, almost impossible to read the, uh, the My Life. I know. Uh, I... <laughs> I told my editor, I yeah. said, you know, she's great. She's amazing. I want to work with her till I die. But she was worried. Like, you you know, we come from this otter swimming yeah. in the sea, yeah. <laughs> you know, to this... Very... Yeah. How would you describe a style for those who haven't read? Well, I've, I've referred to it in, in, uh, in the past as man-spreading. And yeah. I, think, I think that's, I think that's, yeah. the, that's uh, uh, the, the, the right word for it. But I said, I, I said, Sarah, think of it this way, my editor. Like, we build all this capital mm. with the reader. Of you good, did. Of goodwill with the first part, right? We, did, we have all this capital. Now we're going to burn through it. <laughs> How exciting is that? And then we're going to rebuild it, yeah. you know? And Andrew Bevel, who in the novel, in the fictional novel um, by Venner, um, seemed like quite a nice guy. Uh, not a nice guy, maybe, but, you know, he had some sorts of... An, Who did? Sorry. Uh, um, Benjamin Rask. Oh, okay, yes. He seems in the Venner story to be, like, a real person. Okay. But when Bevel is supposed to talk about his life, he's really... He's, he's um, stumpad at best, you yeah. know. Uh, he doesn't have an inner life or an intimate life, maybe, I think... You know, uh, it's more about the public life. Yeah. And he hasn't got access to the female characters in his life or, the, or his mother and his wife. And they are really That's flat. Right. Uh, and, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. No, he doesn't he... have access to love at all, I think. Well, yeah. I, I, I will... Then, then I've failed. No! Uh, because... <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Uh, no, but I mean in the autobiography. Yeah, yeah. It comes later on. Well, the, yeah. yeah. But the thing is, it would have been easier mm. for me to create some sort of piñata of a character, you know, a top-hatted, cigar-chomping, pot-bellied, uh, 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 spatted, uh, uh, pinstriped, mm. I'm running out of adjectives, cartoon 
of, of a tycoon and then just beat him with a stick. Um, I wanted at all cost to avoid that. I wanted to... I wanted for him to be dignified, mm. even if he's a total jerk, but a, a no, jerk but with dignity. No, but I think he's dignified. And I think the, 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 his dignity comes that as far as his small, shriveled, raisiny mm. heart allows him to, he loves his wife, like fanatically. No, but I, I really believe it. I feel like And I, that's a tragedy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no, I don't think it is. I, I have a lot to say about his wife as well, but I'm not gonna, I don't want to spoil that part of the novel. But um, no, but I think it's something when he's, when he's, he's going to speak about his own life, I think he lacks something. Uh, well, later we learn why. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to say why? Do you want to know or not? <laughs> No, okay. No, no, okay. So he's very he's very stilted. Yeah. And he is he is um very angular in shape and very ponderous mm. to a degree that's very hard to accept and you'll be right in finding that hard to accept yeah. and it it will all be explained. <laughs> yes. So it was not a failure on your part. I want to be I nice. want to be clear you, you, on that. You turned, I, you turned that around very well. Uh, but actually, when I uh, read about your... Uh, I, I found your book on a self-help thread. Awesome. On Reddit. And... Uh, <laughs> I hope that person is okay. It's all he I can is, say. He is. And he was really okay. helped. No, but this is true. I'm now relaughing, but he was. It was okay. like an, an Al-Anon self-help thread. thread. Oh because he was really inspired by the autobiography that I hated to read. Because <laughs> he thought th this man really spoke to him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm, but I think, I think that's amazing. And I think, because uh, this quote uh, have helped him a lot. And there were other in the threads that agreed with him. And it's uh, <laughs> from, the best. okay. Every life is organized around a small number of events that either propel us or bring us to a grinding halt. We spend the years between these episodes benefiting or suffering from their consequences until the arrival of the next forceful moment. A man's worth is established by the number of these defining circumstances he is able to create for himself. He need not always be successful, for there can be great honor in defeat but he ought to be the main actor in the decisive scenes in his existence, whether they be epic or tragic. Yeah. Here, here's the thing yeah. about that passage. Like, weirdly, in a way, if you take away the bombast, mm -hmm. which is a lot to ask, but if you take away the bombast, I am kind of in agreement mm. in, a w in a weird way. Mm. And this is what I'm trying to get at. Mm. I was, I was, I never made fun of this character. No, exactly. And I think that's I never, I was, I was, as far as I could, I was really trying to be persuaded mm. by his view of the world as I was penning yeah. this, this passage. I, I, you know, I was, there was, I was, my, all my efforts, you know, as a, as a novelist consisted in, diminishing the distance between my, my, and, or myself and yeah. him. And it's not a, I can't abolish it, but, you know, so I, hopefully something that, that I believe in, I mean, this is essentially like 
an ode to agency and free will, yeah. which are things that I, I mean, it's easy to stand by that. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's also because you said... And uh, it's also a very narcissistic proclamation of modesty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I think that's what self-help help is often about. Uh, narcissistic modesty. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do it as well, so it's not a... I was not being well, rude. But you're great. Yeah. <laughs> but, and I, th I thought it was uh, fascinating because especially later on when you read the novel, the autobiography uh, f uh, seems more like a pastiche of this man than the actual man since... That's right. Yeah. Uh, but I think the Redditor's admiration really speak to the modern, and with modern I mean also conservative way of this style of a book. Okay. Because I think it's this uh, kind of autobi autobiography or this male voice still exists uh, oh, in culture and yeah. around us. Yeah, well, maybe also, I, I have to confess, Redditor is a word that I had never heard before. <laughs> it took me like, what this, oh, okay, Reddit, I get it. Um, I think also perhaps, and I, I can't speak because I am, I am so on the outskirts of reality mm. when it comes to social media and like, you know, I don't know what's going on, but I think, I think perhaps mm. uh, that that is resonant because mm. we we do live in an age, and I, I'm now going back to literature and specifically contemporary literature in the in the United States, where where narratives of of the self and selfhood mm. have have become you know very prominent. Some people do it wonderfully, other people are other people not so much. I mean, it's not an indictment on that approach at all. All I'm saying is, almost quantitatively, mm. it's, it's, it's very present, mm. you know? So perhaps this, this, this uh, fake autobiography mm. and fake for so many reasons uh, is, uh, has a certain resonance because this is, this is the genre that, that has the most presence, I think, yeah, in, I think that's in the literary sphere. Yeah, uh, I know you hate the term uh, historical fiction. Well, you can't go by why I hate. <laughs> it would be a very short... <laughs> <laughs> but I know, but I thought a lot about research yeah. when I read this novel, because I imagine si since you also, uh, in, you're an academic. Y yeah. No? <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, yes, technically, yes, yes. <laughs> what, what do you I mean? am. Yeah. I am. So I, I, I imagine you thought a lot about truth. Uh, t truth? Yeah. Or research, like because re I have an imagination. Okay. Like when you're in the, uh, like when you're an academic, you're like, oh, I do research to find the truth. Right. But when you're a, fic a writer and you write fiction, you don't do research to f find truth. A lot of a lot of people do. I mean, I did a lot of archival work, mm. you know, and I have access to to numerous archives, and I, I took that very seriously. Uh, and and also, I didn't want to look foolish, of you course. know, and, and or anachronistic or, or or inadequate in any way. And also, I find that very distracting. It's like w when you're listening to a record and, and the needle skips when, mm -hmm. when something is off, you mm -hmm. know, it, historically or contextually. So I'm all I'm all for that. But but um, this kind of work has a way of becoming like a factual straitjacket. Mm. You know, I have so many writer friends who 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 spend years, not, not a figure of a speech, trying to get all the minute details correctly. And, and, and in the end, they're straight-jacketed and their, and their novel is like a, 
a shrine to the little charge keys that they, that they found in the in the archives. For me, doing that kind of work has to do with being able to imagine better. Mm. Like for me, literature is about feeling, imagination, and formal discipline. I don't give a fig about factual accuracy. No. You know, as long as it's not distracting. Um, uh, and 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 research is only in the service of imagining with more focus, imagining more sharply. I also take issue with the word research mm. itself, which is a word that comes to us, you know, people in the arts or the humanities, from the hard sciences, you mm. know, and, and, and research follows a certain protocol, mm. follows a certain method. I use that almost in a Cartesian kind of sense, right? Research is supposed to lead to provable conclusions, falsifiable statements, right? That's not art. Art no. has nothing to do with that. So why impose on ourselves these stringent protocols that lead only to aesthetic dead ends? Mm. And I feel that in literature, we have a way better word for that, for mm. research. And it's plainly reading. Reading, reading mm. has to do with free association, with emotion, mm. with serendipity, with whim, with creativity and 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 messiness, the mm. messiness that that feeds any kind of work. Um, so, in that sense, I, I, I most emphatically do not do any kind of research. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, that was a rant. <laughs> no, but it was an amazing rant. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So interesting. Uh, I think I have maybe time for one. I have time for one more question, and I need to. Uh, mention your first novel as well okay. uh, in the distance because uh, I had opportunity to read it d just this week I have uh, and I was so amazed I, I loved it I oh, thought it was uh, so it needed to be translated into Swedish Thank as well uh, and it's also about the Swedish man called Håkan Håkan Söderström exactly no? <laughs> so here's <laughs> Um, and he travels to America during the gold rush. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and he gets separated from his brother Linus. Uh, and he, by chance, lands in California. Yes. No? Not that. It's yes? totally right. Okay, yes. good. Uh, uh, and then he's going to make his way through the country by feet. Yes. Uh, to... He, he needs. He, he's like, my brother may be in New York. I need to get to New York. Yeah. And he grows up in the desert almost yes yeah it's like a deconstructed western <laughs> as yourself as you said <laughs> um, but i thought it was so it was related to trust in such a curious way yeah. um, and i specifically think about uh, <clears throat> point of view or maybe Ooh. narrator yeah because this trust is so much a novel about point of view, both in form and right. content, and uh, who has the power to tell a story and who hasn't, who can write a story, who can't. Yeah. And the first part of In the Distance, Håkan doesn't speak uh, English. That's right. And the narrator is so close, close to Håkan. Absolutely. So close. the reader doesn't understand English either. English yeah. either. Yeah. And that's 
very claustrophobic, so it's not it's not related to trust in that way. But I thought a lot about this of the narrator and, and point oh, of view. Oh, how lovely! That this is such a beautiful question, and uh, thank you for noticing the claustrophobia because part of that book in the distance is this sense of confinement in the midst of this absolute vastness mm. that that I found very moving. But you know, the the weird thing about in the distance that that people tend to forget that I tend to forget myself, honestly, is that it's a framed narrative mm. and, and i don't know if that's a familiar term to to everyone in here but essentially a frame narrative is the following um you know uh the other day i i was at a bar and i walked in and i ordered a beer when i turned around i saw this man who, whose face had been beaten to a pulp this is what he told me mm. and then you hear the beaten man's story that's the framed yeah, exactly. oh, yeah, that's narrative. True. Yeah. And then the frame is the bar, mm. right? Well, I was in Jakarta, and the, so Jakarta is the frame narrative and the bar is the frame. Um, in the distance is a framed story. Mm. Like it, it really honestly takes place over like four hours. Mm. <laughs> but over the course of those four hours, this ca- character tells his story tells, yeah. to a crew on, uh, on board a ship that is, has been iced in. And... Um, so in that sense, it is also very much concerned with point of view. Mm. I am very much concerned with point of view. I think point of view is the most important ethical concern that we should have as writers mm. because it has to do with the administration of truth mm. uh, and therefore with power. You have an enormous amount of power over the reader you know, uh, uh, by controlling point of view. There's nothing that drives him more insane than those shifts, you know, like detective fiction. Mm. Um, you have a third person narrator who knows everything about every character, what they ate, where they have been, their childhoods, what they dreamt last night, but he doesn't know that the killer is the butler. Mm. <laughs> no, that's that not is for a you. misuse no. yeah. of point of view. You yeah. can't have omniscience here when it's convenient to you, but not here when it's convenient to the, mm. you know. So, um, so this is something that concerns me a lot, but there's a further, and of course that is in spades in, in trust, but there's a further connection uh, between them, and this is not long at all, between in the distance and trust. In the distance takes place in antebellum America in the 1850s during the gold rush, mm-hmm. essentially. So it's this big push west, uh, which... It's not a big adventure. It's not this romantic quest uh, b- driven by some kind of altruistic... No, it's horrible. No, it was yeah. obviously genocidal mm-hmm. and it was extractivist in nature. Mm-hmm. It was just to, you know, plunder nature to feed the, the machinery of capital and the, you know, uh, bubbling uh, 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 industrial revolution that was mm-hmm. taking place, you know... Um, and now with trust, we see that machinery of capital mm. running full steam. So I think there is a continuity, yeah. even in terms of perceiving a narrative of capital in the United States between two books, both books. Not intentional, it happened. Like yeah. I wasn't following a dotted line that I had traced for myself. But if you put them side by side, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's quite clear. Mm. Is, is there going to be a third book about capital? No. Capital on the moon. I mean, yes, but no, no. Okay, what are you writing on, uh, writing on now? If I, if I tell you, You'll I will be run me. over by a bus when I leave. <laughs> okay. That's exactly what's going to happen. Okay. Yes. Do you have something more you'd, you'd like to add? 
Uh, shall we take this show to Vegas? <laughs> yes, of course. All right. Yes. Thank you so much, Hernan. It was amazing to talk to you. You're the best. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you.